Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Well, for me, it's easy to see. I've got the red flags broken down into three areas, behavioral red flags, documentation red flags, and financial red flags. So we're talking about the way your spouse is acting on the behavioral side. When it comes to the documents, some characteristics about documents, like maybe missing documents, strategically missing documents, incomplete documents. And then financial, we're talking about how does your spouse handle the finances? What do transactions look like? What kind of transactions were entered into? So for me, it's easy. But if you've never been exposed to this, even if I tell you what some of these red flags are, you might be saying, gosh, I'm not sure what I'm seeing in my situation. So what I did for people is I put together an assessment for them to be able to give them an objective way to look at it. As if divorce isn't complicated enough, add wealth and a family-held business and divorce negotiations can get quite complex and emotionally charged. That's why I created a series around divorce and the family-held business. Whether you're the primary business owner or the spouse of, this series is for you. We speak to attorneys for each side and walk you through what to expect and how to prepare from consultation through settlement. Along with typical intricacies of high net worth divorce are the unique complexities of the family-held business partnerships, commercial properties, employment of family members, and so much more. All of our experts are experienced in these areas and will assist you in asking the right questions, gathering the appropriate information, and ultimately negotiating the best possible settlement. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce and the Family-Held Business, How to Protect Yourself. Today's episode is entitled Finding Hidden Assets and Nefarious Financial Activities with a Forensic Accountant. So while we did touch on forensic accounting with our business valuator, uh, Elon Hirschfeld, earlier in this series, today we're focusing more on the family finances the red flags of fraud and potential inappropriate spending and common ways people try to hide money and how you as the spouse of the business owner can begin to figure out uh, how to know that and when you want to consider hiring a forensic accountant. With me today is Tracy Conan, 
Uh, she's been investigating fraud for more than 25 years, but she didn't always want to be a forensic accountant. With a dream of one day being a prison warden, Tracy went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, to get a criminology degree. A class on financial crime investigation reminded her how much she loved Encyclopedia Brown books as a kid, and she continued her criminology degree, but added accounting and economic courses so she could sit for the CPA exam. And here Tracy is, finding money in cases of corporate fraud, high net worth divorce, and other financial shenanigans. Tracy, I love your story. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I tried to make it a little bit interesting. It's all true. It is all true. Encyclopedia Brown was my jam when I was a kid. <laughs> for those for those of us who are old enough to remember Encyclopedia Brown, my kids would be like, what's an encyclopedia? Um, right. So that's fascinating uh, how you merged those two uh, interests in many ways. It is. I wanted to be a prison warden, and I don't know if anyone else who has ever said that was their you know, lifelong dream, but I had a fascination with the prison system and I loved documentaries on prisons. I loved um, studying the social aspects, you know, that go on inside the prison walls. And I really felt like I was someone who could do some good. If there was something good to come out of prisons, I thought, you know what, me at the head of a prison would be someone who would make sure that we had change for the better. And that was, you know, where I was until I took that financial crime investigation class. I'm like that I've always been good at numbers. And that is super interesting. So I started the accounting courses saying, okay, let me see. Am I good at accounting? I was. And then I was off to the races and eventually became the forensic accountant. Yeah. So can you just start by describing for our listeners what a forensic accountant is, how it's different than just your um, kind of more standard CPA? I find money. So I am tracing money through accounts, looking for where did money go? And typically that is, you know, something's gone wrong with the money. Someone has stolen money, hidden money, had some sort of scheme, and I am trying to unravel all of it. And, you know, looking at lots of different account statements, seeing money bounce from account to account to account, things like that. So I do fraud investigations, but the simple way that I describe my work is I find money. Find money. So here we are, we're talking to this audience of individuals going through um, going through divorce uh, in the more um, affluent uh, financial category and specifically uh being part of a family business or their spouse runs a family business or they married into a multi-generational family business. And so we've really talked a lot about that aspect of understanding the business and valuating it. And I know that some of the potential fraud or inappropriate ways of spending start in the business. So maybe you could just kind of I don't know, help us build a bridge from what Elon was talking to us about to to us focusing more on personal credit cards and everything else that would come into uh, the work that you do on the on the family side. There are two primary issues that I see in the family business when a divorce starts. And the first is 
that suddenly that business isn't doing as well. We're, oh, we're losing customers. Oh gosh, the economy is so hard. We're no longer profitable. We're underwater. The business isn't worth anything. I'll never be able to pay support. So we've got that issue that comes up all the time. And I'm brought in in those cases to help prove that the business is doing just as well as it always was. The second main issue that we see, and this is the one that ties into the more personal side, is people running personal expenses through the business. So using that business credit card for all sorts of personal things, having the business pay for multiple luxury automobiles for children and brothers and sisters and who knows what else. You know, the business buying, paying for home renovations and making that look like it's a business expense. And what that kind of spending does is it reduces the profitability of the company, right? Their bottom line profits are now Mm. lower because they have put all these personal things through. And if you're the spouse who is going to be uh, receiving spousal support payments, child support payments, what that bottom line profit is can be very important to that calculation. So there can really be wide reaching effects. I also like to remind people, if your spouse is running all their personal expenses through the business, what do they need a paycheck for? They typically are taking super low paychecks and then they can again cry poverty in court. Well, I don't even take a paycheck. Well, no kidding, because your business is paying for your lifestyle. So there can be a lot of consequences from that type of behavior. So so what I'm hearing is on that business end, all of these behaviors that you're talking about, uh, you start looking at uh, tax returns or the bottom line or um, the business profit and loss statement, and they're not real numbers because there are other things going on. That's true. And what I'm trying to do at that point is I will often be getting bank statements and credit card statements, both personally and for the business. And I will literally be going through transaction by transaction and trying to identify things that would be personal expenditures, the jewelry at Tiffany's, the personal travel to, you know, Bora Bora where there is no business purpose, things like that. We can identify some really obvious things and that's not going to catch everything that was of a personal nature, but we can often capture enough to go in front of the court to make a case that, hey, there's something something shady going on and we need to start adjusting some of these numbers to reality. Now, uh, before we go on, because I think this is really important, I had interviewed someone who is a business valuator who does forensics, who spoke mostly about the business valuating side, but I'm already hearing some overlap. Can you give our listeners your explanation of the difference between a business valuator and a, and a forensic um, accountant? I sure can. And a lot of forensic accountants do valuations. So there's a lot of overlap there. I happen to not do any valuations. It's just not something that I like to do in my practice. But think of the business valuator as someone who comes in, takes that financial information that the business presents, takes it at face value and says, based on these numbers you've presented to us and what we understand about your business, here's what this business is worth. I, the forensic accountant, on the other hand, am coming in taking that financial information and digging through it skeptically saying, is this information real? What are the real numbers? And if I go through all my work and I say, listen, 
at the end of the day, we have all sorts of expenses here that are not business expenses. And we need to back that out and restate those financials. That can have a big impact on what that valuation says, because that valuation is very heavily based on that profit and loss statement. So if we're going to say that needs to be restated, it's going to impact that valuation. So if you have a business valuator who uh, takes all the information that's been given to them, puts it in the spreadsheet and presents it, um, there's no poking around. There's no investigation going on. It's like this, this is the cover story. And what, what I, I'm hearing... What I think happens, though, is I think that these business valuators do ask questions. They're They're trying to determine, do these numbers look legit or not? But it's going to be you know, it's not going to be the deep dive like I would do. So I don't want to say they're not asking good questions. They are asking questions. They are, you know, they realize that these numbers can be manipulated. They realize that in a family business, it is common for personal expenses to get pushed through. So they will do some level of due diligence on it, just not to the level that I would as a forensic accountant. Okay, perfect. So so we'll leave the business at this point because we talked a lot about that in the other episode. So here you have um, individuals who are not the moneyed spouse who are entering divorce and um, and they have concerns. They either have concerns because they're ignorant and they just don't have any information, so they just have concerns, or perhaps they do see some red flags or they think they're red flags. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Can you, um, and I know you have some tools to share with our listeners too. Can you walk us through from that maybe first conversation you have with someone like what, what to look for, what to expect, kind of just walk us through that process. When you start the divorce process, you are going to be on the financial side asked to produce all sorts of documents, produce as in turnover to the other side. So if you have bank accounts, you will need to you know, bring forth the statements and the tax returns and all that kind of stuff. That Even that process can be overwhelming if you haven't been involved in the finances or if your spouse has been completely in control of finances and they have the tax returns and you don't. How do you get the tax returns from them? There are divorces where we sit there and ask over and over and over, give us a copy of the tax return. Give us a copy of the tax return. I like to use a little trick of going directly to the IRS and getting the tax return and saying, forget it. We don't we don't need to get it from him. But that's there is, can be a really overwhelming feeling at the start of this process, for sure. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, that um, putting your net worth statement together, which is what they call it in some states, um, that is overwhelming credit cards, car loans, house mortgages. But to your point, too, um, if there are all types of stocks and investments and what have you, one could like not even know any of that exists. Like they could just know there's there's a lot of money someplace and I'm told I'll be fine. Um, so that's not really about hidden money or anything being done wrong, but it still requires some investigation to figure it out. So uh, what is what is your guidance for individuals in that situation where they, they need to find this financial information out just to see whether or not they need someone like you. It's a matter of going about it methodically. So I start with, let's make a list of the accounts that you know you have. 
Mm -hmm. Or if you don't even know necessarily what the accounts are, you may know at what banks or brokerage houses you have accounts. Maybe you don't even know that. Maybe you know your spouse talked about a certain brokerage house. Then let's put that on the list. We can get records. Your attorney can subpoena those records. If we have the name of a bank and we think there's an account there, a subpoena can be sent. We'll find out if there's any accounts there. And so it's all about Attacking it methodically, let's make a list of what you know in terms of the accounts and where they might be and whose name might be on them. And then we attack those one by one. If you know of an account at JP Morgan Chase and you know your name is on it, then legally you have access to those statements. And I'm going to show you how to go ahead and get those statements either online or by going to a bank branch, things like that. So for me, if we can be methodical about it, I think that takes away some of the overwhelming feelings that might come as we're going into this. And you'd be surprised, Karen, for people who have not been involved in the family's finances, especially if it's been for a lot of years that they haven't really been involved and haven't been looking for someone to say, go get all your bank statements. That's very overwhelming for them. They're going to say like, where do I even start with that? Yes. Yes, exactly. Our listeners often share that they've been on the fence about leaving their difficult marriage for far too long. What about you? Are you walking on eggshells, constantly trying to make sense of your spouse's black and white thinking, revisionist history, endless blame and accusation? Have you lost your voice, your self-confidence, even your belief that a better life is available for you? Imagine for a moment Entering your divorce unflustered by your spouse's recriminations, certain of your legal rights, crystal clear on your next steps, and secure in your support team. How would it be to feel guided and supported to create, practice, and implement a bulletproof plan to leave your marriage with grace and dignity? If this sounds like what you need to finally get unstuck, go to journeybeyonddivorce.com and learn more about our Get Off the Fence program. You can even book a call with a coach to ensure that this is the right program for you. someone through, you know, how, how to go about getting those things and even thinking about them. How does, how do you know if something's a red flag or not? I mean, if you're, if you're, if it's an area that you've not been involved in, and most of us going through divorce already have broken trust, we're not necessarily trusting the person on the other side. Um, what's the difference between something that's a red flag and something that's not? Well, for me, it's easy to see. I've got the red flags broken down into three areas, behavioral red flags, documentation red flags, and financial red flags. So we're talking about the way your spouse is acting on the behavioral side. When it comes to the documents, some characteristics about documents, like maybe missing documents, strategically missing documents, incomplete documents. 
And then financial, we're talking about how does your spouse handle the finances? What do transactions look like? What kind of transactions were entered into? So for me, it's easy. But if you've never been exposed to this, even if I tell you what some of these red flags are, you might be saying, gosh, I'm not sure what I'm seeing in my situation. So what I did for people is I put together an assessment for them to be able to give them an objective way to look at it. The assessment is 15 questions. And it walks you through asking you how you and your spouse have set up the financial situation, who's in control of information, who brings in the money, but then asking questions like, have you ever observed this in your spouse? And there's maybe like eight Um, things and you check off which ones you've seen, you know, things like, have you ever found a bank account that you didn't know existed before? Right. um, Or uh, have you discovered your your spouse's uh, involved in infidelity? And some of these different things that I ask about, some of them are like big red flags. Some of them are just little like, eh, but when you start adding them all up, you take the assessment, 15 questions. And at the end, I'll tell you how likely it is that there is financial fraud in your marriage. And so I thought that that was important because People who aren't forensic accountants don't know how to assess that. Am I being paranoid? Am I overthinking? Because what I've seen in marriages is, you know, wife, I'll say wife, because that's who I work with typically is saying to the husband, I'm worried about what's been going on with the money and how you've been spending. He says, you're paranoid. You're crazy. You're, you're looking for a problem. She doesn't know. So here's a tool to help her know if she's overreacting or not. And yes, men can use the tool too. It's not a gender specific tool. Perfect. Um, okay, so so when it comes to fraud, there are certain red flags. When you see those red flags, you start going down rabbit holes to understand what's going on. Is that the red flags are the warning signs? And I say if you see one or two, you probably don't have a lot to be worried about unless they're one of the really big ones. Like I said, infidelity is a warning sign. And infidelity is a huge red flag because A, it's all about lying, but B, infidelity costs money. And that typically has to come from money that your spouse won't notice is missing. And so we've got all sorts of issues there. Those red flags, again, are the warning signs that something is going wrong. Then we need to actually dig into the finances, start looking at those account statements, start looking at the tax returns and see if there is evidence there of missing money, money spent inappropriately, things like that. Now, what if, I mean, are there cases, uh, this just came, uh, two two questions just came to mind. Um, one was about gambling and the other one's about a, a heavily cash business. So Gambling. You know what I see in gambling is uh, people cashing out retirement accounts to fund their gambling uh-huh. addiction. And it's really sad because You maybe have a long-term marriage, the divorce comes up, the spouse who maybe hasn't been working for a long time says, well, you know, we'll split the retirement funds. I won't be destitute. I'll be okay. And then they find out the retirement funds were cashed out three years ago and there's nothing. That's really devastating. So um, that's something I, I tell people to look for, you know, look on your tax returns. I show them where to look to see if there has been something cashed out. So at least that they would be aware, um, because what we see sometimes is that someone will cash out a little bit of the retirement account and use it for gambling. And if you could find that right away, you could hopefully keep an eye on things to stop more cashing out of that. Right. Right. So that's one thing. 
And what was your other question? Heavily cash businesses. Yeah. Those are really hard. Everyone knows with cash, there's no paper trail. And so it's hard to find out what has been happening with money, whether money is being, you know, siphoned off of that business. Of course, when the divorce is filed, many times those heavily cash businesses, the the financial picture changes and that cash all disappears. What I do as a forensic accountant is some analysis on, you know, uh, credit card receipts of the business versus cash receipts of the business. And how have those changed over time? Is there, can we predict how much cash should be coming in? Then we do things like looking at the expenses of the business. If all of a sudden you're showing me cash sales have gone down, but your expenses haven't gone down at all, I'm going to be suspicious. So we do have techniques for looking into things like that, but it is difficult in cash businesses. Yeah, that's more difficult. Is there anything else on the hidden fund side before we talk a little bit more about inappropriate spending? Ooh, you know, one of the things that is pretty common that I see is people withdrawing funds from the main bank account that the family uses. And then those funds appear to go poof into thin air. But what's really happening is they're going into a separate account that's starting to accumulate a balance. So that's a hidden funds thing that I see pretty commonly. Okay. So, and then when it comes to inappropriate activity, I mean, you you said right off the bat, which makes so much sense, if there's infidelity, there is a comfort with lying. Um, right. and, and therefore, there are um, other concerns. You know, I, I've had clients over the years who they kind of just, we coach our clients a lot around not getting into stories that are just created between their ears. Um, I'm sure my my spouse has, uh, you know, accounts outside of the country. Like, so there's the other, I want to talk about the other side of it too, which is this, I'm certain, I'm certain that there's a lot hidden, but it's not based on anything. So is that, I mean, is it really hard to track accounts that might be outside of the country? Are there ways of hiding them even from you? And so that's my first question. I'll hold off on the second. Accounts outside the country make things infinitely more difficult. I'll tell you that for most people getting divorced, it's probably not a concern. It is a con- it is a true concern and it is a true risk, primarily for people who are wealthier. If you're the average Joe, you don't just one day wake up and say, I think I'm going to get an account in Switzerland, right? I mean, there's a lot of steps that have to happen in order for you to have an account in Switzerland. And so if you are in a relationship or a family who has never had money outside of the country before, and you don't, you're not wealthy, it's probably unlikely. But let's just say that that's an issue for you, money outside the country. And you have... In order to track this down, we need a starting point. So you got to have some kind of intel about this. I think that there's an account in Switzerland. And the reason why it would be in Switzerland is this. I know that the family did this, this, and this, and that my husband would take a trip once a year to Switzerland. And I knew that something was going on of a business nature, right? That's really good intel that says it's going to make sense for us to look for something in Switzerland. But if it's just like, oh, I made this up and and chose a country, we can't help you. Nobody can help you at that point. So we need something to go on. 
Okay. So, um, okay. So if you're concerned that there may be hidden money and you have this story that, you know, it's, it's someplace else, um, is there anything the individual could do to dig deeper to even know if they should hire someone like you, Tracy? Well, I was going to tell you what I would do if there are still these suspicions, but they don't know, because there's typically a paper trail of some sort. Someone doesn't take a suitcase full of money to Switzerland, typically. I mean, that's just silly. It's got to get transferred from somewhere. So there will be a paper trail. It's a matter, therefore, of looking through your banking records and investment account records that you know of to look for evidence of money being transferred. Now, what you might not see is money being transferred to Switzerland, but you might see money being transferred out of your bank account to a different bank. All of a sudden, there's a transfer to Wells Fargo and you say, we've never done business at Wells Fargo Bank before. Maybe the money made the jump from your JP Morgan Chase account to Wells Fargo and then to Switzerland. And I follow the money in that way. If you're in a position of you don't know if you can or should spend the money on a forensic accountant where do you go? Attorneys have all typically said, well, your choice is hire one or don't. Your choice. I created the Divorce Money Guide as a tool to help people evaluate their own finances and dig into their own banking and investment and credit card records to see if there is that actual evidence of money being diverted or inappropriate spending or whatever that concern is. Right. So if if I were to get your money guide and follow those directions, then if there are red flags, they're going to start showing up because you're telling me what to be looking for. I'm going to help you to identify those red flags. And then I'm going to show you exactly where to look in the account statements and in the tax returns and what to look for to identify that proof. So I'm going to help you identify transactions that are bad. They're going to look like this and you're going to see them here. So yeah, we're going to get real specific with it. Okay, so let's say our audience, their family-held businesses between, let's say, 10 and $100 million. And they are, they're sitting at their, at their attorney's office and they're told, well, you can hire a financial, um, a forensic accountant, um, but it's not always worth it, right? So, so you don't want to be spending twenty thousand if you're only going to find twenty five thousand, right? Something like that. How, can you speak to that in terms of that decision making? What I tell potential clients is that I want you to try to assess how much money is on the line for you. How much do you think could be hidden? Now, of course. The response many times is, well, if I knew how much money was hidden, I wouldn't need a forensic accountant. <laughs> and I get it. I completely get it. I've been doing this for 25 years. I totally get it. But in some families, it's like, well, if he would have taken more than $5,000, I would have known about it immediately. So then you know that kind of $5,000 <laughs> is your risk, right? But if I'm talking to someone who says, realistically, my husband could have siphoned off 250,000 or a million dollars and I would have never known the difference. Okay, now we're talking about something different. And so I, I ask people to use their knowledge about their own personal finances to sort of, what does your gut say about how much could be missing? And there are times where a potential client will say, 
I have no reason to pick any number or know of anything. I'm just really suspicious of him. And I think he's a jerk and and maybe he had something. And at that point, I'm asking the question, what is it worth to you to find out if you're right or not? And I've been in situations where the people have said, you know, I, I don't really want to spend 10 or $20,000 just to see if I'm, if he's a jerk or if he's a thief. And there are other people who say, you know what, I am willing to spend a certain amount of money because I wouldn't feel good settling my divorce without knowing that I at least looked into it. Yeah. Great answer. That's such a great answer. And I've had clients on both sides of that aisle. Um, right. Yeah. And it's true. It's like, it, it, I'll, if I, if I don't ask and look, I'll be so upset with myself that it's worth the risk of the investment. And on the other hand, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm good. I know what I'm getting or about it. And if there's a little bit more, it's 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 not worth my aggravation. So that's that's a great answer to the question. So what haven't I asked you that we want to cover before we uh tell our audience a little bit more about your guide and your resources? You've asked really good questions. We've we've touched on some of the things that I think are really important. You know, my whole mission with working in this area of divorce is to help empower people to get information. You're getting divorced. It's the worst, probably one of the worst times of your life. And if you haven't been involved in the finances, or if you think that there may be fraud, it can be overwhelming. There can be sometimes a lot of shame. By the way, don't feel the shame because in nearly every marriage, one spouse is primarily responsible for the money and the other spouse just trusts them and doesn't necessarily stay on top of things. It happens all the time. I just want to give people tools to help them learn about their finances so they can understand exactly what has been going on with the money before they agree to anything in the divorce settlement. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Uh, if if I were in this position, um, well, let me ask it differently. Are you typically hired by the attorney or are you interviewed by uh, the divorcees? It's usually the attorney. My business is the client. Uh, the attorneys are my clients. So they know when they need a forensic accountant. And so they're usually taking the lead on calling me. Uh, and working with me on the project. But I, I do sometimes get the calls from the person in the process of the divorce. And, you know, in those cases, I will talk with them about what their concerns are. And if it seems like it's a case that I could help on, then the next step is let's have a call with your attorney on the line because I need to know uh, what the laws say you will be able to pursue. Every state is different. Right. You know, the. Right laws vary a little bit. And so if if there is a particular issue, I want to be sure from your attorney that you have recourse, that you have a way to get that money back or somehow recover it because I don't want to spend money to do a project and then have the attorney say, oh, we're not able to pursue that because it's too old and our state law limits that or that issue is not something that we can pursue because. No, that's a good, that's a great point. And if you were to give one or two tips for our listeners if they were in a position where they were vetting their own f- f- 
financial forensic, um, their own forensic accountant or their attorney gave them more than one to talk to. Like, what are a couple of the key things that they either want to ask or look for in the forensic accountant that they work with? Well, I definitely want them to talk to more than one person, because I think when you have two or three conversations with different people, you start to learn about it. You get a sense for who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. I would ask them very clearly about fees and how that is structured. Most forensic accountants will charge hourly. I do mine a little bit different. I do fixed fees only so that my clients know exactly what they're going to pay. We just agree on exactly what I'm doing. And then they know how much it's going to cost. Um, I unfortunately do see people who end up paying fees far beyond what they planned on this hourly billing model. And so I think it's really important to understand exactly how that works. And can we put a limit in place? Or can you let me know when I'm halfway through what we've talked about the fee so I can assess how much work is done, things like that. So you understand what will you bill me for? What will you not bill me for? So billing is super important. Um, and I think it's important to talk about what your concerns are and ask the forensic accountant, how would you investigate this? What documents would you use? And what would be your approach to that? And so even if you don't know what the answer is supposed to be, doesn't matter. See if they will talk to you about how they will approach it. So I get asked that question. I would say my work is very heavily based on bank statements, credit card statements, investment statements, and tax returns. We will gather all of those statements. I will take all the transactions from those statements. I'll put them into a database and I will go line by line looking at all these transactions, trying to identify ones that are inappropriate or otherwise questionable. You and I will get back together and we're going to go over this list of transactions that I've identified that I have questions about. We're going to talk about what you know about them, right? So I can talk about exactly what you're doing. <laughs> Right. But if if you ask my question to a forensic accountant, can you tell me how you would investigate this issue? And they can't immediately tell you what the approach would be or they just give you the well, every case is different. Don't give me every case is different. It's true. Every case is different. But the typical approach would be and they ought to be able to talk about that. If they can't, it probably means that they don't do a lot of investigations like this. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I think that's so incredibly valuable. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So I want to hear a little bit more about the um, the divorce money guide. And uh, if you could explain uh, how it, what it is and how our listeners could use it if they're interested in where they could find it and then where they could find you before we wrap up. Of course. So the divorce money guide is an online handbook. It is um, a product that gives users videos, uh, written materials, so PDFs that walk them through the process, worksheets, checklists. It is a 10-step process, but you don't have to do all 10 steps. You don't even have to do them in order if you don't want to. And it walks you through the process of the financial piece of your divorce so you know what to expect and what's going to happen the financial documents that you're going to need to gather for the divorce, how to get those documents. So when I say you need to get your bank statements, I'm going to walk you through how to get them. So if you've never had experience doing that before, we got you covered. Um, 
And then once you have those statements and those tax returns, I show you exactly what to look for in them. So I walk users through, look on this page of the tax return for this item. And if you see something here, this is what it means. I show them, um, here's how to look at your bank statements to try to figure out if someone's spending money inappropriately. And so it is a very simple process. And I know that that might sound impossible to people. If I say a little bit of do-it-yourself forensic accounting, that sounds impossible, right? <laughs> but my users have proven it's not impossible. So anyone, even those who aren't good with numbers can do it. And really, again, it's not, you don't necessarily have to have fraud to want to use the divorce money guide. If you just want to start learning about what your family's money has been spent on, this is a process to show you how to do that. Again, very methodical, very easy. And it can be found at divorcemoneyguide.com. Beautiful. Oh, I love this, Tracy. And you do you work coast to coast? Is that am I, I do. hearing that right? I work anywhere around the country. So my consulting work, uh, a lot of it is in the Milwaukee and Chicago area uh, because that's where my professional network is primarily. But I do a handful of cases from coast to coast throughout the year. I probably work on about 20 to 25 cases a year. And part of the reason for creating the Divorce Money Guide was to be able to help more people. I want to help a thousand people with their divorces this year. I want to help empower them to have more information. So by creating a product like this that was online that people could access and do at their own pace, they didn't need my direct involvement. I love that. And if someone really is excited about uh, what you're saying and reaching out to you, how can they how can they reach you? They can find me at divorcemoneyguide.com. They could find me on Instagram at divorcemoneyguide. There, the if they get to my website, there's an email address there. Reach out to me. Contact information is there. I'm happy to help if I can. Perfect. And we're going to have all of that information in the show notes. So just go there to find it. You don't have to be jotting it down so fast. This was excellent, Tracy. This was so incredibly helpful. I really appreciate you taking the time to share all your knowledge with us and 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 really kind of uh, normalize the the fear and anxiety and overwhelm that comes along with it and to offer our listeners what a wonderful tool to be able to just kind of dip their toe in the financial waters and start looking into things themselves. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And don't forget, we don't just want to offer them the divorce money guide. We also want to offer them $100 off when they use the coupon code journey in all capital letters, which I'm sure you're going to put in the show notes too. Absolutely. So if you're interested in the Divorce Money Guide, go over there and check it out. Uh, use the code JOURNEY, all caps, uh, to get your $100 off. And we will be back again real soon with another episode of Divorce in the Family Business. Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you again. It was great talking with you. And we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching 
group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to our podcast, Getting Educated, Regulating Your Emotional Reactions, and it's been really helpful. Yet you know you could do better, be better, and you're wanting and needing more support. That's where our coaching service is a game changer. We're here for you when you need us the most, ensuring you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips, guiding and supporting you to be more effective. Our free rapid relief call helps you gain a broader perspective, commit to your best next steps, and determine what coaching support is right for you. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call today.